Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I guess I'm Dr. Redman for this. <laughs> well, it turns out you're going to be Dr. Redman for a little while longer now that we found out we can watch Criminal Minds Korea. <laughs> Korea! We, we thought we were done with Criminal Minds, then somebody uploads all of Criminal Minds Korea to YouTube uh, with, with English subtitles. So it's like, and we always said, if someone ever subtitled, we would watch Criminal Minds Korea. So now we're kind of stuck. Yeah, you know, it's just well, from the first few first few minutes I watched, I'm going, well, it'll be interesting. It's a good looking show. Yeah. Like it's kind of bracing how like how, to the ex the extent to which it looks like cinema. You know? Like the well, the fact that it, it just it looks gorgeous, shot beautifully, like uh again, edited like a movie, not like a TV show. And if you need me to describe what that means, we'll talk about it when we're actually covering Criminal Minds Korea. And as, which is today. But anyway, one more, please. One more time, I still don't know why that reporter survived. <laughs> uh yes, it starts with the Adrian Bale story. Of uh, Adrian Bale blowing off. people of a mad bomber and their version of Gideon trying to tell people that he's, uh, you know, that he wants to blow, uh, he all just wants to murder people and would never surrender. It's, it's very interesting where they decide to start the story because that, it's weird, that's uh, Gideon's motivation in the first episode and then Adrian Bale shows up in like the third episode yeah. and then it's never mentioned again. So making that we'll the cornerstone see. of the pilot is a very interesting idea. Yeah. And I mean, no, I'm interested to see where it goes. All right. So, okay. uh, but we're here to do provide, I think what could be called a study guide to criminal minds. <laughs> like spark notes. Uh, <laughs> for criminal minds, just a, a way to help you think about criminal minds. Yes. If you are confused it. and you can't figure out if there's any consistency other than <laughs> characters or whatever, we're here to help. Well, yeah, we're <laughs> here to help. And if you want to write, uh, say, for example, university article about criminal minds, here are some of the themes that come up over and over again. And an introduction to how th to think about them critically and how to investigate them. So now let's start going into that. So let's start with the the biggest theme in the F, uh, in the entire show, which is number one, the infallibility of the FBI. And as I said, the first bunch of themes we're going to deal with are consistent. Yes, there are incons inconsistent themes later on. You're absolutely right. Yes. So this one, yes, the infallibility. If there is one thing that you have to understand when you're watching Criminal Minds, is that. The FBI has never, in the history of the FBI, done anything wrong. Yeah. Uh, and they... as long as you accept that, <laughs> you're okay. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe you know, it. And the show, as I wrote down, the show exists to make excuses for things that the FBI did wrong, because we know they did things wrong. But this show <laughs> never, yeah. ever. Well, it does, and that's the thing we're going to talk about here. It's not that it's an inconsistent theme, it is. They come very close to saying that the FBI did something wrong. Very close to it, but they don't quite get there. And that's in the uh, the Identity episode, which talks about Ruby Ridge. Yeah, and we'll but, get to this. Yeah. Um, yeah, but what's fascinating about this is, you want to say, okay, well, 
it's a show about the FBI, so obviously the FBI is going to be painted in a good light. But I think what's more fascinating about this is, so you go back to the 1960s, and there was a show called The FBI. And it's not, I mean, I think it's recognized, it wasn't recognized as that then. But at now, people understand that that show was literal propaganda supported by the United States government. Right? Like, the show The FBI was given resources and access and all sorts of things. And this is this is a true fact. So, do you know how the show The FBI got started? Um, I should know it, but um, I'm going... People at the FBI were watching the show Dragnet and said, we need one of those for us. Because think about it, the FBI knows how corrupt and monstrous the LAPD is, but everybody mm-hmm. watching Dragnet thinks the FBI, uh, the the LAPD is the bee's knees. They think they're just, the ultimate police organization because that's what Joe Friday is like. Just the facts, just ma'am. the facts, ma'am. Just <laughs> exactly the facts. right. Just the facts. I mean, Aaron Hotchner has had to have watched Dragnet oh, at one point. Of the course, he's familiar with Joe Friday. <laughs> It's got to be. I don't know how, but... And so they said, okay, well, we need our own show like this. And so they offered cooperation to whatever TV network. In the same way the LAPD provided full cooperation to Dragnet. Like, Mm -hmm. full cooperation. You could have any resource you wanted if you were working on Dragnet. You could film anywhere. You could have all the cop cars you needed. You could have their actual machinery. Like, it's it's pretty impressive what they had, and that's entirely down to how good the star made them look. To the point where that's even a plot point in the book um, L.A. Confidential. Yeah. Where Jack Vincennes yes. was the, uh, was the yeah. on-set, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? LAPD consultant. Yes. Yeah. And that was a, a big thing in the narrative. It largely gets left out of the movie, but it's a big part of the book. Yeah. Yeah, the, you, everybody's got to go read L.A. Confidential. Oh, fantastic. Love L.A. Confidential even more. Like, that whole trilogy is fantastic. Even better yeah. than the, like, American Tabloid, that's uh, American Conspiracy Theories Thriller si- trilogy. That's that's good, too, but I love that first one. Yeah. You know, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Nor there. It, We're it talking about... the point where in the 60s, they were very open about the fact that, yeah, like the FBI is cooperating. But we live in a more cynical age. We live in a more suspicious age, right? So the FBI isn't going to come out and do a lot of time, ta- spend a lot of time talking about how they're cooperating with criminal minds. They're just going to cooperate with criminal minds and... That is going to lead to slant, very slanted depictions of the FBI, right? Yeah. And do you, for example, do you know who doesn't cooperate with the FBI? Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> and then think about how the FBI is presented in Hannibal. In many ways, they're still superhuman in a lot of ways, but it's also more honest about how unbelievably shady the FBI can be. But that's because they don't have FBI agents on the writing staff. They don't have the FBI agents in the meeting rooms while the, se- uh, while the story beats for the season are being put out. And Criminal Minds has that, right? Yes, it has. And he became a producer at when he retired from the FBI. Mm-hmm. He became a producer. He was a writer. You know, oh, yeah. um, 
the whole thing. Jim Clemente. And, he even brought his brother on board. Yes, and how how he could. Uh, never mind. That's that's a whole Jim Clemente. We could do a whole podcast just on how Jim, Jim Clemente. Clemente could have walked around that set with what was going on. <laughs> that's the really shocking part to know that it's like to to find out. I mean, we're going to talk more about that once we have all of the details of the lawsuit, which mm-hmm. I mean, that could take a couple of years. But eventually all this stuff is going to come out and knowing that there was an FBI agent on set while set. all was all of this was happening it's kind of shocking well no it just tells you something about the FBI <laughs> oh no that's right that is right well and particularly since he himself was sexually abused as a as as a child, as a child. in in yeah in in it similar to the situation that gets set up for Derek mm mm-hmm. mhm Right. And I mean, and that's there. And he didn't talk about it for years and years and years. I mean, only because he was almost forced to at one point. So it's only about five, six years ago that he he talked to somebody about that. And it isn't even on his website. Like he still hasn't come to terms with that, obviously. Well, and I mean, I got to say, people have people have wondered what we're going to do now that Criminal Minds is over. We're, as you found out, there's a lot more Criminal Minds to talk about, and we're going to be listening to a lot of the Jim Clemente podcast and seeing how that factors into our theories about Criminal Minds. Uh, You know, what this man's worldview is and why it's so important that this man was there. Because, and this is the key part, Criminal Minds, one of the roles it serves is to settle scores for the FBI. Right. Yeah, I mean so, that's what we're now what we're talking about. Exactly. Going to talk about this is just that was the thing that horrified those of you who have listened to every one of our podcasts. Episodes. Thank you for that, by the way. Yes, you have. I mean, those who got in at the beginning, it was easier. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, people do go back and and start listen at the beginning. to the archive. That's true. You know, when other, I, I think that a lot of people watch an episode of Criminal Minds and then listen to it. That, that <laughs> yes. happens. Or, you know, like they don't want to listen to it until they're watching the episodes. And of course, watching the episodes sometimes is very difficult, as we all know. <laughs> you know, as we've said ourselves, we were committed. So we did it. But yeah, I mean, and we had, we listed one, two, three, four, five specific. And I just finished watching, we, we could start, I mean, the worst, I guess, case really was the Richard Jewell because they Absolutely. tried to, and I just finished watching essentially the CSI Richard Jewell episode. Oh, and, and how it did was they handle so, it? Oh, that was, it was so different. This poor guy was being railroaded the same way just mm-hmm. because he knew all sorts of stuff about bombs and everything else. And then he ends up and he just says, well, I just want to help. And. So Grissom, uh, Grissom is, uh, understands this because a bomb goes off and he's, he's, he's in jail, right? So obviously he couldn't do it, but then he has a police scanner. He hears that there's a bomb going and be, and they have just found out at, at the lab, how this thing is triggered. Oh, okay. He goes in, it's in a high school, and so in the high school's near him, he goes to the high school and he finds the bomb, and he's carrying the bomb out. Oh my god. And and it blows up. Of course. You yeah, know, but you know, he has to be an even more tragic figure because it's television. Yeah, well, and then of course, then he is the hero. 
Of course, yeah. But, you know, but so they, you know, but yes, I mean, the way the police, it's not the FBI, of course, but the way the police deal with him as if he's a suspect and Grissom doesn't think he is. Grissom doesn't think he is, but Grissom's a nice guy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, but anyway, but we've, we've already talked. You can go see our, that episode. We talked both about that episode and we covered the movie Richard Jewell, if you want to hear Jewell, that. But yeah. we're going to synopsize a bit of our thoughts here, just because yeah. that's what this episode is for. And what it comes down to is, now, an episode, a see, like, and this is what's so fantastic about uh, a show like CSI acting as a counterpoint to Criminal Minds. Because yeah. the fact that that is how CSI handled it shows you how much of the way Criminal Minds handles this writing is yeah. entirely born of their desire to cover for the FBI. Because if you think about it, the drama of the Richard Jewell story, right? The drama and the thing that makes the Richard Jewell story fascinating is that the world has some idea of what a hero is supposed to look like, right? And that is fed to us by the media. And the, the FBI honestly leans into that with their historically famous grooming uh thing uh like yeah grooming ideas where it's like hair has to be exact length no beards uh mustaches you can have a mustache but it can only look exactly this level no women in the field right uh all of you have this uniform of a very specific kind of suit and a very specific kind of muted color tie because the fbi has this idea of branding what authority is supposed to be and they are supposed to look like authority you know we may not like j j edgar hoover but he sure as hell knew what he was doing oh when it came to branding the man was a genius no he yep. knew exactly what he was doing but that's everything about the way the fbi presents itself is about this branding of we are authority this is what authority looks like and you know mm -hmm. we all know the culture of the suits so we know what that <laughs> that in fact uh is a pretty big part of most of western society but we're talking I just about Hodge. the FBI here <laughs> yes exactly they're all supposed to look like aaron hodgner which is why we rib read so frequent so consistently <laughs> for going out in the field in a cardigan you know yeah, and tan the other guys. yeah like no derek why are you wearing a t-shirt right yeah. but so the Richard Jewell story is fascinating because it calls into question, well, what is a hero? What is a hero supposed to be? Right. And if you fall out of this, you know, this normalized idea that a hero who saves people also has to be handsome and also has to be, you know, classically masculine. Right. In this yeah. way. And Richard Jewell is all about how those expectations, you know, affect the way law enforcement looks at it because again everything is systems and everything is narratives so law enforcement look at a man who looks like richard jewell and they say he can't be a hero because he looks like that yes you know because he looks like that because he talks like that mm -hmm. right it's it's like it's like a weird thing i mean we'll talk a little bit about racism later on but oh, of it is it's the same idea right just mm -hmm. because you're black well then just because you look like a schlub and you're overweight, mm -hmm. and the rest of it, you can't be a good guy, Yeah, is what it is. Exactly. And it also goes into, so there's this, um, the, this fascinating double standard that really plays in the Richard Jewell situation, which is the FBI is taught, right, 
that anyone, and in fact, it's one of the, the cornerstones of profiling that anyone who, uh, that anyone who tries to insert themselves into an investigation yes. or play the hero must be, must be the killer or, you know, there's a good chance they're involved. So look into them harder than you're looking into other people. But the same, at the same time, you have shows like Criminal Minds. You have an entire society built up to say law enforcement is the best thing you can do. And they're the thin blue line heroes protecting the rest of us from chaos and blah, 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 blah. So it's like, you create this whole societal assumption that the best thing you can be is a police officer. And when people and like police officers should always be assisted, it should always be helped. You should, should always be deferred to. And yet when someone buys into that and says, yeah, okay, I can't be a cop. I'll be a security guard and I'll help wherever I can. Then you treat them with suspicion for wanting to live up to the cultural assumptions that you guys created. Yep. And that's the story of Richard Jewell. It's fascinating, this amazing double standard. And again, you, there's it's the reason the movie such a good did such a good job is you've got the schlubbiest man in the world playing Richard Jewell, and who is uh, who is playing the FBI agent who's persecuting him? Oh, a guy thought to be the handsomest man in America, John <laughs> Ham. Like that is that is the story that is being shown because you look at the real guy who was the head persecutor. I mean, the, uh, he's playing. I think I believe a composite. He didn't look like John Ham. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. When you look at the real guys involved, and that's what it comes down to. It's, well, what is the perception of law enforcement and why are they so contemptuous of people who want to be in there? Is it just because they think of it as their own exclusive club? Like that is the, that is the kind of feeling you get. So you take that narrative, right? And it's a fascinating, compelling narrative. And that's why so many episodes of various TV shows did Richard Jewell episodes, because it's amazing that this guy who just wants to help has yeah. his life destroyed because of how he looks and because yeah. of how he sounds and because, yes, of his class, yep. right? Because he is lower class. Yep. And so they put all of that together and a man is destroyed. And that's the story. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and by yeah. definition, authority is always going to be ba look bad if you tell that story. So what does criminal minds do? <laughs> <laughs> criminal minds tells the Richard Jewell story, except Richard Jewell was guilty. Yeah. That's madness. Like... To, to tell the Richard Jewell story and to turn it backwards so it's a story about how the FBI is right and schlubby people can't be heroes and anyone who wants to be a hero if they're not already handsome and manly is pathetic. And in the military. Oh, of course, you know, you have to join the military to be a hero. Is the is part of the <laughs> core of that The episode. narrative, yeah. It's oh, the narrative God, that episode is selling. And yeah. In a lot of ways, like it is, it is an episode about, and it is a show about reinforcing who has power in society. I know it's no wonder we got so angry about it. Yeah. It's one of the worst episodes of criminal minds, but it's a perfect example of 
what is Criminal Minds trying to accomplish? It's trying to tell a story where the FBI is, again, is always right. They deserve their authority because they're the best at everything. Yep. Like, they have authority in this society. And the one thing you should never do is question why they have that authority and whether they deserve that authority. And they did a whole episode about it. And let's face it, drag Richard Jewell's good name through the mud in order to do that, tell that story. Oh, what a show. What a show. Uh, which means it's time to move on to our second episode where we're talking about the themes of the FBI and its infallibility. Uh, which is who doggy, uh, the episode identity season three, episode seven is seven, a perfect yeah. example of this because yeah. in it, we are dealing with malicious. Now, I don't think you're going to hear us defending malicious generally. <laughs> is that a safe assumption to make that we don't have a lot of time for malicious? No, no, we, we don't. don't. Uh, we don't because, and this is a key part, they tend to be white supremacists yes. and that's just a general rule. They tend to really not like black people uh, and all non-white people, but specifically black people. Yeah. Uh, right. So it's, it, that is why we tend not to like, uh, uh, we tend not to like militia people. So this is an episode about militia people that tries to be weirdly kind to militia people. Uh, and it's like, it's kind of strange because they're like, well, no, they cut the, they cut Leonard, the Leonard Lake character. Cause it's a retelling of the Leonard Lake, Charles Ng story. Uh, they cut the Leonard Lake character, you know, uh, out of the militia culture. So obviously he wasn't a real militia guy. He was too extreme for them. Uh, so I'm like, okay, sure. I forgot Jim Beaver was the, was the sheriff in that episode. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was just rewatching it for this, and I'm like, hey, that's Jim Beaver. Yay, I love that guy. He's mm -hmm. Bobby from Supernatural, and we adore him. Uh, but anyway, I will stop digressing and get to the point, which is this is the episode that actually talks forthrightly about mis one of the few episodes that talks forthrightly about uh, a time when the FBI Ruby Ridge. got it wrong. Yes. Ruby Ridge, and they also talk about Waco, which was right after yes. Ruby Ridge. Yep. Yeah, they uh, they briefly discuss it, right? And it's kind of a <laughs> it's kind of a, a crazy situation because you got these guys talking about Ruby Ridge, and they announced that the character David Rossi was there yes. at Ruby Ridge running the operation, and who boy. It's, it uh, did, it's intense. It, yes. Please. It didn't go as planned. Yes. Mistakes were made. <laughs> uh, well, and, um, there, and there's something in there that I wanted to talk about. And you tell me your feelings on this, right? Which is, so David Rossi points out that, uh, they did Ruby Ridge and they shot the guy's son and they shot actually i don't even think they mentioned that they shot the guy's son they do no. shoot randy weaver's son he did have a gun and he did shoot at them but they shot randy weaver's son and then they shot the mother who yes had a gun but she was also holding a baby so maybe you know like just retreat while she's holding a baby guys uh and the thing that's so frustrating about it right is you listen to them talk about it on this episode 
And to do it, you would just suggest that, well, you know, it, it's just a, just a bad thing that happened. And my question becomes, how does this episode play for people who don't know who Randy Weaver is and what happened at Ruby Ridge? Which I, I'm going to suggest is the majority of people who watched the episode. Yeah, because probably it don't was, know what happened. Yeah, because ultimately it was a long now it was a long time ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. For people and it's pre-internet and there isn't enough. I don't know if there's a lot about Ruby Ridge um on well there must be a lot on the internet but Oh you no, probably, you can find yeah, out. Yes. Absolutely. You can get a lot of malicious stuff. I mean, it is one of those situations where if you are looking at sort of rationales for um there were okay how am i going to say this there were always there are always people who want to be by themselves mm-hmm. and who want who don't want the government that that's why they move west and they move into the middle of nowhere so there's little <clears throat> in the way of government interference etc it's the same thing with moonshiners and things like that oh, yeah. you know you don't want to pay your you don't want to pay taxes people You're who hate the quote-unquote revenuers yeah and th- but there's a whole bunch of things there right but this ruby ridge thing because the fbi basically created the entire situation yeah. it was they set it ruby ridge up Mm-hmm. And people don't understand that. This isn't a Jim Jones. This isn't even Waco. Uh, this was the FBI tried to get this guy to become an informant. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to be an informant. And so then they decided they were going to railroad him. Well, they were going to do a sting operation and force him yeah. to become an informant. On so I'll just give the I'll give the people the raw details. Randy Weaver wanted to live completely apart from society, but, you know, people get lonely and kids want to be around families, so he started hanging out with the other families in the area. The problem was, the other families in the area were hardcore Nazi militia people. And I'm sure they throw good barbecues, but they are hardcore Nazi white supremacists, right? And so the FBI said, hey, Randy Weaver, you're not a Nazi. You're not a white supremacist. You're not a militia guy. Would you mind just like telling us what they're saying at these parties? And he said, no, I got here to get away from the government. I don't like you people. I'm going to leave. So they're like, oh, crap. Well, how can we blackmail this guy? So they got one of their other informants, because the FBI has no shortage of informants, BTW. Um, They just made a... Oh, we'll talk about the movie they made later. But uh, they have no trouble of... uh, they, They have no trouble finding informants, generally. So they said, Randy... They hired this guy to go to Randy and say, would you saw off these shotguns for me? I don't know a lot about guns, but I want my shotguns to be sawed off. So could you do that for me? And Randy's like, sure. I think the law about the length of a shotgun barrel is ridiculous. I will happily do that for you for X amount of dollars. And so he did it. And then the FBI, uh, you know, was like, ah, you violated firearms laws. Now we're going to arrest you and we can make this all go away if you refuse Sorry, if you agree to spy on the Nazis for us. And Randy was like, this is obviously entrapment. This kind of crap is why I, you know, ran into the woods in the first place. No, I'm not taking part in your society. I'm not doing anything. We're just going to this mountain and we're going to stay there. 
And so that is all of the steps that happened leading up to the siege. And the siege was a fugitive warrant. So he was a fugitive. He wasn't, he had not turned himself in. He had to go to, you know, he had to go to court. And so they had to go pick him up. And that is when the siege happened. And that's when all of the horrible stuff happened. So notice that even when David Rossi, right, is admitting, well, maybe everything didn't go as planned when we went to arrest him. David Rossi leaves out the frigging six steps before mm-hmm. that where the FBI did incredibly unethical things. <laughs> the assumption being that, oh, well, everybody knows. Yeah, but no, they don't. What the story <laughs> is. No, they don't. They don't know. So if you just watched that episode, you would be like, wow, this attempt to arrest a criminal went yeah. really badly. And the FBI could have handled it better and it was just a nightmare. Right? And at the same time, uh, he says, you know, just a couple of months later, we uh, 80 people died at Waco and we didn't even fire a shot. So it's like, you know, uh, and yet, you know, we've got all this stuff to live up to. You didn't fire a shot. You drove a tank through a wall. (laughs) Like... Spoiler alert, I feel like that's, morally speaking, not a ton difference than firing a shot, is driving a tank through a wall. Don't you? Like, by him using the term, we never fired a shot, it creates this insane fiction where the FBI was completely peaceful, right? Oh, well, we had learned from Ruby Ridge, and we didn't fire a shot that time, and it still all went terribly wrong. It went terribly wrong because you drove a tank through a wall and started a fire that burned down the entire complex. Yeah, well, it wasn't totally, it was, I I will give, I I always will give the FBI a little bit, a little bit of leeway on that one because they were not, they did not make the final decision. You can blame that one on Janet Reno. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) To, to sort of push into the compound. The FBI actually was willing to wait, partly because of Ruby Ridge. Exactly. And so these other guys talked Janet Reno into assuming that this was a major issue and she was going to have to go in there. And she, so she authorized it. Mm-hmm. Big mistake. I mean, oh, uh, gigantic. Just, you know, I mean, and this is. And Waco was after, for God's sake, it was after Jim Jones. Long after. So, you know what? You don't have any institutional memory. I know. You know what what happens with Jim Jones. Of what these uh, people will do. But that moves us nicely. That segues us nicely into how they treated their own Waco episode. Yes, the Luke Perry episode. I know this one's this one's a heartbreaker. I am right there with you. This one this one was rough even by criminal mind standards because again, they so if you don't know the story of Waco, there's a there's a dra- uh TV drama, a mini series you can watch on Netflix. You shouldn't though because it kind of implies that um <laughs> that he didn't that he wasn't a scumbag who was raping children. Oh, he was, David, David Koresh. Koresh was there. It, it, you can not ever sort yeah. of give give 
they were right that this man was needed to get taken down. Absolutely. Needed to get taken down. That wasn't the issue, you know? Um, it, but yeah, you no, you don't watch the, there is don't a watch that very good documentary. Yeah. There's a very good documentary for, I don't know. It actually might be on one of the, uh, CNN channels. Okay. Uh, but a very good documentary that deals with, um, uh, Waco and just, you know, it's about six episodes. And so you get the government interaction, you get a whole bunch of things, but it's pretty faithful to sort of the, the issues. Facts. Yeah. yeah Cause what you got to remember is David Koresh was leading a doomsday cult. Yeah, he was, there yeah. was no question. The world was going to end. They all believed it. Um, and of course, then of course, like all of these bizarre cult leaders, as I mean, as Luke Perry was, <laughs> yeah, abusing children. Yeah, weirdly large percentage of the cult re- leaders all get around to molesting children at some point, and I'm not one hundred percent sure why, yeah. but they all do it. And well, because I think if, if I was to say something, it's because they are defying the norms because they they know what the religion stuff is and. Therefore, and this is one of the key norms of most re- most religious groups, right? right? The idea that that children shouldn't be sexual sexual yeah. is a is a powerful taboo in our society. Yeah, and I think that well, plus, but then again, I mean, in the case of David Koresh, he was just a pedophile, and yes. I mean, he had again, he had been grown up in this cult like Luke Perry, and yeah, had like his, his character. Own. Well, and that's the thing about the Luke Perry character in that episode. It is accurate to what David Koresh was like. You know, he was in in many ways. He was this like handsome, charismatic cult leader who grew up in this abusive cult and then like came. I mean, he didn't, you know, take it over with gun, but left and came back with a criminal record and decided he was in, uh, and decided he was going to make this cult thing happen for real and managed to pull in people and managed to gri- get this giant group of doomsday cultists around him. Like the show is accurate in how it depicts Luke Perry and David Koresh. What it's not accurate about is the part where they blame all the death on the cultists. Yeah. And that and just wasn't the case. No, it just isn't the case. They did not kill themselves. It was not a Heaven's Gate. It was not a Jonestown. Although some of the people were murdered in Jonestown. Uh, but but that's not the issue. But that's not the point. Most of them did commit suicide as part of a as part of a uh, as part of a massive uh, you know massively indoctrinated end to their doomsday cult. Most of them did kill themselves. But here the narrative is everybody was going to kill themselves and it's up to the uh, FBI to save as many lives as possible, including all of the children. And I'm like, wow. Well, you know, you could always stay there just trying to correct their mistakes. (laughs) This is how it should have gone, not how it really went. That's true, right? (laughs) But when you do that, I mean, you're absolutely right that that's what they're trying to say. But when you do that, you're left with the impression that the FBI doesn't make mistakes Mm -hmm. and everyone else is unreasonable except for the FBI. Yeah, I know. 
you know, and that even happens when they deal with other government agencies. Like, you sh I mean, we have talked so many times about how they treat local cops on criminal minds. Oh, you should have seen Greg Henry plays an FBI who comes in when they yeah. have a serial killer on CSI. Oh, my nice. God. And he is such an asshole. <laughs> I love Greg Henry so much. But he is the usual. Yeah. Well, the he's, FBI. He's our guys. FBI come in yeah. and they take over. Drunk everything. on authority. Yep. As all FBI, you know, agents tend to get. <laughs> well, when you're taught by things like criminal minds that you are the infallible word of law in the country. Well, you know, that goes to your head pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, so then we get uh, the brief mention. And again, it's interesting because it is an attempt to uh, it is an attempt to own the FBI's mistakes in the past with a couple of lines of dialogue without ever admitting they could make a mistake in the president present. So why don't you tell us a little about what happened at Pine Ridge? Okay, so we have to talk about Pine Ridge, which was a major mess. Yeah. Okay, I mean, there was something called the American Indian Movement, right? And they were really back to the past, right? Yes. I mean, but they, they wanted to live as more traditional, in more traditional manners and aim still exists in their it's it, it, very bizarre i have very conflicted feelings about aim's existence now but yeah <laughs> okay and so they occupied there was an occupation at pine ridge indian reservation called the wounded knee occupation of 73 and this was going back to a traditional way of <sighs> life uh, well, no, it isn't just that. At, I mean, at Wounded Knee, people were killed earlier, right? Oh, yes. Anyway, never mind, right? In a the historically, past. yes, a place that they historically had, yeah. Yeah, it's it's an important historical. I, I'm trying to sort of, it's so complicated. It is. Anyway, so the tribal chief at Pine Ridge, right? You, so you have AIM members and they're occupying wounded knee the mm. tribal chief or chairman whatever you wanted to call him but the chief right hires vigilantes to get rid of american american indian movement members mm -hmm. right they call it whatever you want to call it right he wants to get rid of it so these vigilantes okay um kill more than here's the number like more than probably 60 traditional tribal members aim members are murdered and there's massive assaults the problem is there is a huge fbi presence at pine ridge and they do nothing to stop the violence mm -hmm. in fact the fbi supplies the vigilantes with intelligence on the members of AIM. And they look away, right, when these vigilantes. In fact, one 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 guy says that the FBI even supplied him with armor piercing ammunition. I mean it's just it was, it was a mess, right? Yeah. 
And so there are some major members. So the FBI decides that in 75, they're going to go at, to the Jumping Bull Ranch, which is one of these traditional ranches. And they're going to arrest some of the key figures, leaders in the movement. If you get rid of the leaders, the movement will fall apart is sort of part of the theory, right? So they go, right? So you have, and it was bizarre, right? FBI agents go in an unmarked car, right? Followed yep. a up into the ranch. The families, of course, become going, oh no, what's going to happen? And then you get a shootout, right? And mm -hmm. you end up with, I don't know how many agents, FBI agents surrounding the ranch. You have the vigilantes and other law enforcement um, by the time it's all over, you have two dead FBI agents and one Native American yeah. dead, right? Apparently the agents, and this is where it gets a little iffy, right? Antsy mm -hmm. were, were, were shot, like were, for, were injured and then sh killed. Executed. Executed. After being injured. Yes. After being injured. As I said, it's so, so messy. Yeah. Um, but the whole point, the Native American was shot by a sniper. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows who this, you know, I mean, like, it's... They don't it's, know whether it was the FBI or whether it was one of the mercenaries. Yeah, well, it, well, it doesn't matter. It certainly yeah, it wasn't one of the AIM members. Yeah, it certainly wasn't one of the AIM people, and that's all that really matters. That's all that really matters, yeah. right? Um, and so it was just a mess. And they... Tried the three leaders. Now Leonard Pelche escaped to Canada. Mm -hmm. And then some, some supposedly some woman came forward to say she was his girlfriend and it was her. And she saw Pelche kill these guys. And it, it's just, you know. Um, yeah. It's just kind of a mess, right? There were all of these affidavits to get to get Pelche back into the United States. He was in Canada, right? And um, they wanted to get him back to the States and they created this, this, well, they had these affidavits from this woman and she says she had never even met Mr. Pelche afterwards and wasn't yeah. even present shootout. Um, yeah, and she said essentially that she was forced into doing it by the she FBI. She was forced into it by the FBI. So of course, because it's extradition, Canada then arrests him and extradites him to the U.S. And mm -hmm. it was it was a mess. And the FBI and um, you know it, it it's a, it's a tricky situation because if those of you who have been listening to our podcast know, in in more we've had a couple of incidents um, taking place on reservations, and it's very problematic the relationship. Um, with the FBI. And part of it, of course, is because of here, but the FBI could have gone in. But the question is whether or not the tribal chief, well, he didn't care because they thought these aim, these people who wanted to live traditionally for whatever reason. I, oh, <laughs> you just, it is, it's just that it's a horrible, I mean, it was one of the, it is, it is almost like we don't treat it the same way as black civil rights. No. It is, but it was. AIM people wanted to have 
their their right to live traditionally if yeah. they wanted to. Um, they, they wanted to live on their own terms. And, you know, and if you are in, in, in the reservations, as we said, you know, in this couple of episodes that we watched, it's like crazy that, that they suddenly just rush into somehow or another, they can go into, it's not just criminal minds. There was the one in not unsub, but the other, uh, one of the other shows that we did. Yeah. Right. Where they just kind of rush in and you're just going, but you can't, you know, you, you can't, there, there are rules partly because of the mess that occurred at Pine Ridge, mm -hmm. but it's never, it's never really dealt with. Pelche is still in jail because everything is questionable about the trial even. And yeah. uh, they, they still won't let him out. Yeah. Um, even though <laughs> there is a disturbing lack of evidence against this man against this man. Yeah. And even and then when he went to trial, they wouldn't, they, they refused to allow evidence or almost no ev evidence about all of the violence that was going on on the Pine Ridge reservation itself. I mean, it did start out as an intra intra tribal issue, tribal issue that just, got more and more the problem was the fbi supported Pick, they the picked sides and the vigilantes mm -hmm. and they basically supported them in their attempt to basically get rid of aim and these these traditional families yeah so it's it it, it was it's a complicated messy messy situation you can, again, watch Incident at Oglala and watch that. We've already suggested that. You can also go and read the book Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee if you want to have even more. And let's not forget, right, that the FBI likes to keep its hands off as much as possible in situations like this. Because of the COINTELPRO files, we've learned that the FBI was doing this anytime an organization made an attempt to say people didn't have to be afraid of the government, it was the FBI's job to make them afraid of the government anymore. When people tried to remind each other that mm -hmm. they were where the strength of the country came from, it's the FBI's job to say, no, the government is in charge and we are putting you back in your place. This happened with Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. This happened with Malcolm X. Like, do you think it's an accident that they never caught who killed Malcolm X? The FBI knows who killed Malcolm X, but they were doing the FBI a favor because Malcolm yeah. X, uh, let's just face it, the Nation of In Islam was a fringe group. The Nation of Islam under Malcolm X, Malcolm X's splinter group after he gets kicked out, could have become a giant force for social change. Yeah. And that is why Malcolm X wound up getting killed and the FBI wound up covering for him. The FBI didn't kill him, but they no. know who did it and they helped cover for him. Yeah, and it's and and in this case too, as you say, the FBI is going to support the the those that are on the side of the powers that be. That's exactly. the nicest. That's the nice way to put it. <laughs> anyway, if you really want to go and look at at like all of the things that have been going on, because there it is still. Um, you can go to freelander.org. Anybody yeah. who wants to can go and there. They have also and they have all the information laid out for you to read it for yourself. And it's a good source for updates on the case if and when we ever get yeah. it. Yeah. 
you know, there are, and the courts are there and the documents are there and there are all sorts of interviews. It's, it's, yeah, it, it, it was a Pine Ridge was a messy, messy, oh, yeah. messy situation. So and too many guns. <laughs> and so this, by the way, this is the backstory going into why uh, native characters on the show, the couple of times it happens, are a little wary about the FBI showing up. And yeah. you can imagine if you had this in your head, now try going back and we love Black Wolf, but he had a right, the right to be a lot more hostile if he had wanted to. Mm -hmm. If you have this in your head and then you look at how cooperative native authorities are with the FBI in the show, it's almost cartoonish how helpful they are. Well, it's because, again, Aaron Hotchner backs down. He does. Yeah, he backs down and, and there's this implicit understanding, right, that he and it's and it is one of the few times in the history of the show, the FBI admits they're wrong about something. Yeah. And we're going to get into the next one right now, which is one of the most mind blowing things that's ever happened on the show, which is there is a casual mentioning, I believe, in season 14 that they caught the anthrax guy that they solved the and that the FBI solved the anthrax case and it's just mentioned in passing and again like did this come from Jim Clemente did this come from whoever their new supervisor is because spoiler alert the FBI didn't solve the anthrax letters that were sent after 9/11 that didn't happen a man who might have been responsible for it killed himself or yes. wait, did he kill himself? No, he did kill himself. Yes. I don't remember he killed himself or whether he died of a heart attack from all the stress. Uh, but no, I think he killed. I believe he killed himself. But anyway, a doctor who fits the profile probably had access to the anthrax and almost certainly had access to the anthrax and was the likely suspect did kill himself. It was never proven that he sent the letters. They could never match the DNA or like, or at least chemically match the anthrax that was sent to, uh, that was sent to him or his house or his workshop or anything. There was never any concrete information proving that this guy did it. And by the way, that forms Mark Hamill's entire motivation for becoming a serial killer. Yes. In season right. eight. That's yeah, thing. his entire motivation was for becoming a serial killer was that um, that Aaron, not Aaron, Aaron, had hung him out to dry and blamed him for the fact that they persecuted this guy and never were never able to prove it, and it destroyed his career inside the FBI. Right, yeah. so that's the entire plot. And then two seasons later, like uh, a few seasons later, just have them in passing say, "Oh yeah, we solved that one." is kind of crazy because the show came so close to admitting that the FBI had just gotten it wrong and they made the FBI's failure the motivation for that year's, you know, themed serial killer, the copycat. Right? Yes, but remember, remember what I say. Please. There's no continuity. <laughs> There's no, no storybook. Nobody remembers. There's no historical memory on this show. That's true. That's true. 
it's just it's so crazy to me that they would actually go out of their way to do a major you know overarching storyline about the fact that they didn't solve the anthrax case and then yeah, to a couple of years later just in passing saying oh yeah we got that guy well the thing is is that, i mean and they make it a such a big deal in that episode because you know the the whole mark Thing, because Hamill. it is also it is also one of the reasons why Blake doesn't trust Aaron. Yes. Aaron yeah. the boss. Aaron the, the boss, female not boss. Yes. Yeah, not Hotch. Right. Yeah, because her, uh, yeah, her career was also derailed. Also, completely derailed because of of what uh, Aaron. What was her last name? Oh God! Isn't that Bad funny? That I can't we can't remember, remember her last name. I think I think we're suffering from. Uh, we're so glad to have been done those last With criminal minds where we're mind. letting some of the stuff drift out of our heads which is well really i'm sure it's there it's oh, it's the right. effort to pull it out of the out of memory is <laughs> i can true. see her i oh, can of course. see what she looks like but yeah. anyway um yeah those those are some of those those little things but generally speaking what is also clear in this in this theme Mm-hmm. It is that the BAU never makes a mistake. Yeah. I mean, we've called them out a million times when they, when they have a profile and when they find the killer, it doesn't even fit the profile, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, or they go into these towns, right? And treat everybody like they are dumb. Yeah. You know, the only people in Beyond Borders, for example, who get treated with a halfway decent um yeah well no with any kind of respect at all is are the ones that have been to quantico (laughs) yeah to quantico to take the quantico international policing course that teaches people how to act like the fbi in their own countries yeah and so you know i mean it it is that is the one thing as you go i mean and it didn't start out that way because of course that's the whole thing with gideon is that he's suffering I mean, and that is why you see this this show just turned into something else. No wonder, I don't know why it turned into something else, but no wonder Bernero wanted less and less to do with it. Because the F, because at the beginning, of course, Gideon made a major mistake. Yep, got six people killed. Got six people killed. And, and he is still sort of paying for it. He's haunted it, by it. He's haunted by it. Whereas when Emily... In the last, the last season, gets all these people killed. Literally, the last two. She episodes couldn't care of the less. Show. Yeah, she couldn't care less, and she wonders whether she still has her job. Well, and that's what's so horrifying about it. It's like he yeah. made a mistake, and all these people got killed, right? Yeah. And he has to quit going in the field. He has to semi-retire. He has to be, you know, dragged back by Hotch. Yeah. To catch this serial killer, and then he accidentally catches a second serial killer that same week. Yeah, <laughs> in an amazing coincidence, uh, and he and he comes back right to try and realize he can still do some good, but he's haunted by it. He's Bas- haunted by what happened with Bale, which Adrian is why Bale. he only lasted two seasons. Exactly, and then just, he just couldn't can't do it, it anymore. anymore. And for whatever you say about the character, you can understand why going through what Frank put him through mm-hmm. would pull him out for like put him out of the thing for good. Right? You yeah, get that. Like, if you if you do if you ignore the outside of the world yes. 
things that were going on and why with Mandy Patinkin and Thomas Gibson and yeah yeah all that sort of stuff ignore that within within the, the context the narrative of the show it made perfect sense that after the sort of the whole Frank thing he just couldn't do it anymore that was no. that that was it it was it had he finally realized it was a mistake to have come back yeah and you buy it from that character. Yeah. He didn't, obviously, he didn't do right by Reed, but that's a whole other conversation. But that's, that's a different... That's, that's a different but conversation. Reed also didn't we do have right a, by We him. have a whole... Well, we're doing a whole other show or two about the meta characters, so that's yeah. a... That's a conversation we can save for that. Uh, yeah. No, but it's, it's fascinating, right? Because... Yeah. And this is, and I that, think, the perfect thing to point out, where... That is how far the the cult of the character's infallibility, like it goes even beyond FBI infallibility, that's part of it, to character infallibility. Because, yeah. as you point out, the exact thing that drove uh, Gideon. Gideon, right, Jason Gideon, out of the FBI is something that none of the team have a second thought about. Yeah. You know, an entire SWAT team is killed. And her only response is, do I still have my job or not? Yeah. Like, no, you should not still have your, have job. your job. You should be fact, offering your resignation. Yes. However, you know, it's all that bubbly that just. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but know, it's, it's an insane scene. Can... If you want to see yeah. a, like a truly crazy scene, watch the scene. Where a guy comes to say she's not uh, Emma, tell Emily there's no way in hell she's going to be the head of the FBI, and she is a com unbelievably hostile to him. When it's like yeah. when she should be frigging apologetic for yeah. getting all of those people killed. Killed, yeah, yeah, it's... yeah. Well, I guess she wasn't the one that was going to have to go and deal with the family, so why should she care? Emily I mean, anyway, this. yeah, no, but, it's, but it's, it is funny, you know, when you when you look back to those first two years, yeah, and even into the third year, and then and then everything, then how it this almost well, it coalesces this idea of how they never do anything wrong, and we'll get later on right to some of the yeah. other parts of it, but this is the FBI and the BIA, BAU, which is. The FBI. Of course. They are part of the FBI. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, they think they're better than everybody else in the FBI to of boot, course. as we've known, and um, just basically doesn't have to take responsibility. The FBI is always right. Yep. The other place you kind of see that is in with bones, but... <laughs> but yeah, that's a whole other conversation. That doesn't matter. Um, oh, God. I can't think... take that one seriously. <laughs> no, I know. It's just... I, I never watched another episode of Bones after their terrible Kennedy assassination episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, but that's... But anyway. that's a whole other conversation we can say yeah, and for you can, us you can talking about watch, Bones. You can watch him on SEAL Team or whatever it's oh, called. Yeah, God. Yeah, well, I mean, he's... Uh, you know what? He's Good consistent. for him. I know, yep. he's consistent in the roles he takes. He can't say he's not. All right, so let's okay. move on to our second theme <laughs> that the show deals with. So that is... a. The theme you want to talk about is that the FBI is infallible. We've told you where it comes from, the comparison to real life, and what purpose it is most likely meant to serve. It may sound like I'm being conspiratorial, but again, the FBI literally commissioned a TV show 
to Way make everyone when. think back in the day. They commissioned a TV show to make everyone think the FBI was wonderful heroes who were on their side. Yes, so keep that in mind yes, when it sounds was, like we're do, being too crazy in saying the FBI wants criminal minds on the air to improve people's feelings about the FBI. Yeah. Okay. And remember, just, and also remember, you can go back to the, we don't see it anymore, but back, I think it was 1957. Um, where they basically had this guy, uh, and he wanted to write the story of the FBI, right? And he was given access, and it is just this. And I would assume it was the success of that book in, in creating a wonderful picture of the FBI and yeah. its, and its, and its inception and its whole history and how wonderful it was and the wonderful things that it did, um, would have led them not just to then watching looking at dragnet but the book was successful oh, the so book was huge why as well, wouldn't, yes why wouldn't why wouldn't a tv show be successful oh, absolutely no i mean yeah. but they've always fought a pr battle um yeah. my the okay so the birth of the fbi happened and this is just a little piece of trivia for everybody before we move on to the next topic the birth of, birth of the fbi happened in the 20s when they needed somebody to fight essentially after uh the economy was going real bad. Let's just say the economy was going real bad. It was not doing well for anybody. Uh, and you might say, oh, well, the rich people, the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, that was just the rich people. There were also bank robbers because most people were broke as hell. Yeah, remember Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, exactly. Just like remember Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd, you know, the, the famous Diamond. bank robbers of the time. What was it? Legs Diamond? Jim Diamond? Leg, di yeah, Le yeah. Uh, Legs Diamond. And just a wonderful, like, th there was this culture of bank robbery. Because, again, why should all the rich people have the money? Let's take it for ourselves. And these people weren't Robin Hood. They didn't spread the money around. But people saw an establishment crushing them. And they turned people fighting turned that into establishment folk. into folk heroes. Yeah. In the same way the James Gang had been. Yes. Although the James Gang had an extra level of, you know lost causeism to it but that we're not getting into that's a <laughs> whole other going, conversation the civil war is out of yeah, our bailey no that's that's way hurt. but and this is the key part and this is what the movie public enemies missed yeah the fbi had to establish itself by catching all of these bank robbers they made any bank robbery a federal crime and essentially they created an entire governmental agency you know the federal bureau of investigation to fight these bank robbers because, you know, people had to feel, the rich people had to feel their money was safe, is the long and the short of it. And a fun fact about John Dillinger is, John Dillinger was not kill, shot dead in front of a movie theater, right? John Dillinger was the most famous bank robber in America. Not only because of all the banks he robbed, because he was amazing at escaping from prison over and over and over again. Like, they could not keep this man in jail. And the FBI knew... Right. That the narrative of them defeating John Dillinger is what would set in everyone's minds in America that John Dillinger, uh, that like if John Dillinger could get taken down the FBI, the FBI was it. Right. The FBI was the force that defined law and order in America. They even got John Dillinger. And so history will tell you he was shot dead in front of a theater because they had a woman uh, like take him to the theater and lead him into an ambush. Right. And he was, you know, murdered by the police, except that's not what happened. Uh, the 
the the woman in charge was working with a corrupt cop she was i believe a madam of a whorehouse she was working with a corrupt cop they found a guy of his close enough not really to his build and just lured him to the theater told the 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 corrupt cop told the rest of the cops that john dillinger was in the theater they had an ambush she said that's him and then they shot the guy to death and they said we got dillinger and then the government uh and this is this part is history this part I'm about to tell you is historical fact that doesn't get taught as much. The coroner, the medical examiner, sorry, who came to look at the body, like looked over the body, looked over the prison records of John Dillinger and said, okay, well, that's not John Dillinger. He was a different height. He had a different frame. He had a different eye color. He was missing a lot of John Dillinger's scars. Uh, and people said, well, you know, John Dillinger had facial reconstruction surgery. That's why it didn't look like him. But again, different height, different build, missing scars, didn't look like him at all. And so what the FBI did was they had a court put a seal on the on the autopsy for 30 years. Because they're like, in 30 years, nobody's going to care anymore. And 30 years later, the, cor the coroner, again, I keep saying coroner, the medical examiner came out and just publicly said, yeah, they didn't kill John Dillinger. I performed the autopsy. I'm legally allowed to talk about it now that the 30 years is up. It wasn't him. But the FBI understood that the narrative that John Dillinger was killed by the FBI was important enough that they were fine just pretending this guy was John Dillinger and paying out the reward, because they paid out the reward, because that's why the corrupt cop and the madam did it in the first place, for the money, right? They murdered this guy for the money. And if you could get the narrative out there that John Dillinger had been de defeated by the FBI, that was worth any amount of money and any amount of, essentially, crimes they had to commit to get it. And what really saddened me was they made John Michael Mann made a movie about John Dillinger, and that's not the plot. They just no, he got shot in front of the theater. No, history knows for a fact he didn't. And John Dillinger, nobody knows what happened to him because this is a man who had a bunch of money to himself, and then suddenly the newspaper started saying he was, he was dead. dead. He so went, oh, I think good luck. <laughs> I think he smartened Yay. up, and he's like, oh my god, really? Okay. He probably just moved to the Pacific Northwest with his money. <laughs> I don't know what he did. Nobody knows what he did. But we know he didn't die in front of that theater. Hell, maybe he was already dead in a ditch somewhere and they just needed the publicity. But the point is, John Dillinger didn't get killed and the FBI lied about it for the public relations. So you cannot tell me that the FBI doesn't understand the value of public relations and doesn't see it as their number one job like creating this aura of infallibility and that is what uh that is what criminal minds is selling and i could say whether they know it or not of course they know it there's an fbi agent on the writing staff yeah, yeah. well you it's, can't it's, not know it yeah it's it's pretty funny and if you really want to see a little bit of it too is is go watch broadway um boardwalk empire, boardwalk empire. yeah where you see, and you see J. Edgar there. Young J. Edgar Hoover. Who's just been given the task of of straightening out these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of transforming, you know, all of these unbelievably corrupt treasury agents and creating a federal, ta uh, like, federal yeah. task force. Yeah. Actually, you know, professionalizing them. No, and it's an interesting take on his character. And it goes down yeah. to, 
again, you have to have not just, uh, I'd say not just uh, be, um, you don't have to just not be corrupt. The old saying is you don't have to be, not be corrupt. You have to not even have the appearance of corruption. But the truth is, it doesn't matter whether you're corrupt or not, as long as you don't appear to be corrupt. Because <laughs> there's plenty of corrupt FBI agents, but they what they traffic in is the lack of the appearance of corruption. That's what happened to Whitey Bulger, but that's a whole other conversation. We're not going there. No, we we're not going we, there. Hey, we're not going there. Let's they didn't do the that. Whitey Bulger story. So, no, they okay. never did the Whitey Bulger story. <laughs> he so wasn't we're not a serial about killer. What can no. I say? Well, he killed a lot of people. Yeah, but you're right. But, he wasn't a you know. serial killer in their sense of the term. Yes. Unless you want to say that that's who... Uh, no, I was going to say unless you want to say that that's who... Um, Oh God, William Sadler was playing when they went back to Boston, when they went to Boston, <laughs> you know, Joe, uh, David Rossi's old friend, the uh, Irish yeah. mobster, maybe he was fake Whitey Bulger, but you know what? That's so much of a stretch. <laughs> Although he was helping out the FBI. So maybe he was. What, Eddie... <laughs> it's a whole other conversation we're not getting into right now. Let's move on to our second topic. One that's a little more fun. I hope, uh, the the subject that made you come up with an elaborate conspiracy theory that this show was entirely run by Scientologists. <laughs> well, I tell you. Which is the show's severe antipathy towards the whole concept of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, well, I have to admit, it was the therapy thing. And then, and then, of course, it's lack of any kind of a moral, moral center. construct, center, anything, right? And I'm going... So maybe these people are all sort of members of the Church of Scientology, maybe. And I'm trying to find out stuff, right? Well, and the funniest part was when you called me, you're like, hey, do do you know if the what the Scientologists believe? And I'm like, well, yeah, space aliens and ghosts and blah, blah. No, and then you're like, no, no. But like, do they have any beliefs about morality? Like what you can and can't do? And I'm like, actually, you know what? I don't know if they do. And I still don't know. And I've done some, I haven't done an awful lot. Is there, reason, but is but there a some. moral, is there any kind of a moral component to Scientology yeah. is what you asked me. And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> and, and, but of course the big thing is how much the show hates therapy. That and, hates that and mocks more, therapy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it is amazing. For the entire run of the show. Yeah, it never ends. The only positive, we'll just start with the only yeah. positive depiction is really Junior who forces JJ into couples therapy. Yeah, and that's that's kind of fascinating to me. And the thing is, it doesn't even make a big deal out of it. We essentially, in the arson episode, get a single line where Junior's like, no, we're but you can't shut down. We've got to keep communicating as we learned in therapy. And it's like, it's one line that tells yeah. you so much about that character and their relationship. Because none yeah. of these characters have ever willingly sought therapy. And we've never heard about therapy helping. Right? Anybody. Anybody. No, therapy, people, people become serial killers because they're in therapy. There so, are people yeah. who are therapists who are Serial killers, serial killers make other people do you know it's yeah. just and therapy is kind of useless and you know i mean and you're going you're going with matthew Gray. it's funny i was having a conversation it was it was actually a sad conversation yesterday just we're talking about addictions and problems and things of like course. that but 
And we were talking about criminal minds too. And Matthew, great Googler, he's a heroin addict. What? And does this ever get dealt with? You really think that, you know, he doesn't go to therapy until the end. They completely forget about the, you know, he goes to one, what? He goes to one, one, a, N- one a- NA meeting for FBI, for police officers. Mm-hmm. They deal and with then it one episode. Once. We never hear about it again. Nope. Nope. There's nothing to, there's nothing to listen to. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to hear. Everybody's just fine. Thank you. Um, and we can go to the writing room for, you know, they the later showrunner who wants everything to be a self-contained episode and have no relationship to any other episode. Yeah. Unless, um, uh, and that's from her own mouth. So, yeah, that's not us. That that is not us. No. You know, being unkind. When that's she her that, theory for the show. Well, when she said that in one of the commentaries, I went, "Oh, that explains a lot." It does. I mean, it really does. But the one thing here is this: this it is consistent. These people should have therapy. No, these people they drink themselves better. They, I don't know what Derek does better. He goes and rebuilds houses and that makes everything better, I guess. Yes. You know, renovates houses. Picks buys- up women in bars. Oh, yes. That's and what Derek does. Oh, yes. That's his, that's his therapy. That's his therapy. Yes. Is, um. Reaffirming and only- heterosexuality by picking up women in bars. Yes. And uh, yeah, yeah, of course. What can mm-hmm. I say? That's how he deals with it. Um, you know, forced to get married because she was pregnant. Yeah. Um, he knocked her up and that was it. He had to do the right thing. Not mm-hmm. that the show ever said it that way, but this is, but this is fascinating and how they do this constantly. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and so let's go through, I mean, beyond the characters not wanting therapy, let's take a look at some of the episodes where therapists are responsible for the crimes so you've got two different episodes right of someone being so traumatized by um you know being asked to confront their fear of the dark that they turn into serial killers yeah and that's that's pretty intense and that's happened right at the start scared to death you've got the guy who uh was traumatized by trying to confront his own phobias as a child and then becomes a death therapist where he finds out what people are scared of and kills them in that way. And yep. then, what, 11 seasons later, we have the guy who is so screwed up by his attempt to uh, get over his fear of the darkness as a child because he has, you know, his bad eyes and he sees better uh, in the dark than the light. It's a whole thing. He has a weird kind of blindness. And that guy is driven to serial killing because when he was a child, he turned, like, his parents tried to do this radical thing to get him over his fear, and it just utterly mentally broke him, right? Yep, yep. And there's also the therapy, I mean, that you're not going to hear me defending, which is gay conversion, right? Yep. Uh, But we see gay conversion therapy lead to murder. Yep. Uh, And again, there, they're just saying... They don't do a a ton in that episode to differentiate gay conversion therapy from, you know, the regular therapists who are just out there attempting to help people. 
God, that was a horrible episode. It really was a horrible episode. I mean, right? they, you, you know, I mean, whenever they they tackle any of this, it's like if it was if it was balanced off, I think that we get really angry. Like you've got, you're talking right now about scared to death and then nightlights, right? Yeah, I am. I, you know, those are those are those two fear, fear therapies, but. You know, you had the fox who was working as a, as a, a yeah, family counselor, family counselor. Right. And but no, no, no. He's going to kill people. Right. Yeah, he's and going to you, use that as a way to find his victims. Right. And then you have, of course, the, the, the but that was funny. The married couple. Yes. The episode with therapy. the married couple where they're like the therapist trying to get them to share interests and do stuff together. And they decide that what they should do together is serial killing. Yeah. And then, you know, so, and then the Again. marriage breaks up essentially because he goes out and still kills separately yeah. from her, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that was a funny, ep that was the closest thing to, yeah. that was the second funniest episode that they ever yes. did. Right. Yeah, no, um, that's true. But there is nothing to balance off all of these, these issues, um, because what happens. But you're right. It's like, so you create this narrative where. We have only we have seen therapists in the show, and except for that single line of dialogue, yeah, from Junior, do we ever get a positive portrayal of a therapist in the show? No, they, when they the, they are neutral or they are severely negative. Yeah, and they go and when they go into when when one of them is forced into seeing a therapist, they manage to somehow or another, you know. Get Not out of it as quickly it. as possible. They don't actually need it. It's just, oh, you were in prison for half a year and you tried to kill a bunch of people and your mother was tortured by a crazed serial killer hit woman. Uh, you know, obviously, yes, Reed, you need therapy. But then they act like he was just, you know, biding his time through the therapy until he didn't have to do it anymore. Yeah. Like he and never took the therapy seriously. Because he's smarter than, you know, and then there's that whole. He's smarter weird than Tim Russ, so you know. Yeah. He he gets to decide for himself who it is, what it is. Yeah. And it's 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 like that weird episode where he he wants to find anything wrong with him. I swear to God, he would rather have schizophrenia he than go to have, therapy. He would rather have a brain tumor than go a to brain therapy. therapy. Yeah, and the guy is saying, no, you don't have a brain tumor. Maybe you yeah. need to go and see someone and talk about this. No, yeah. there's nothing wrong with me. You know, I have to have something physically wrong with me. And yeah. even when he sees the, you know, the, um, oh, what, what did they call him? Um, they didn't go and call him a witch doctor, but, you know, the shaman. Yeah, yeah the, the, yeah, the shaman. And the in door. Santeria. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, it. I'll be Bob honest with you. I don't know what they call like if you had, if he had been a voodoo guy, Houdoun guy, I would have said, "Oh, you mean the Bokor?" But I have no idea what they call practitioners of Santeria. Like I just that's not information I have. And I, you would think I would have it, but yeah. um, but I, I mean, don't. The society ends up always calling them shaman or witch doctors, and I'm like, yeah, not really the accurate representation. But no. We just we're going to be honest. We don't know. Yeah, but so yes, the practitioner of Santeria he goes to see. Yeah, uh, it's 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 fascinating that that it's just a constant knock. Yeah. Uh, now you understand that people are resistant, but the fact is is that you then get the impression that the FBI doesn't force them into it. I mean, it is it's not 
a theme that is unique to Criminal Minds, most cop shows and the rest of it, yeah. right? I mean, th these are all macho, macho men and women um, yeah. who don't ever need to get help, right? Yeah. Um, no, 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 no. If we can just, we can just shove it in the back. We don't get PTSD, so we're not going to go get help for PTSD because that's the ther that's the therapy is doesn't work. Or yeah. as JJ would say, my th PTSD is so different from anybody else's PTSD. I'm paraphrasing now. Yeah, that I, I, it wouldn't help me anyway. So I need to go kill somebody. Yeah, no, no therapist could understand what I went through. The only thing that's going to make me feel better is to kill people. She's, you know that like you're literally describing how serial killers think, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you not notice, JJ, that that is the rationale that all serial killers have? Guess what? Any serial killer, just I'm not saying a potential serial killer is listening to us. You can find a therapist to help you with that. Like you can, <laughs> yeah. whatever your issue is, no matter how screwed up it is, no matter how dark your fantasies are. There are therapists out there who can help you with that. That's yeah, just no. a fact. And I'm not even saying that there aren't bad therapists. There are terrible therapists. Of course therapists, there are bad so. therapists. Okay. And sometimes you have to kind of find two or three or four, you know, before, before you, you find, find one, one that's where good. It, yeah. That help can help. And that yeah. is, and if you don't have that kind of, you can't because... It is a very manipulative business. It's like being a family thing, you know. Oh, I yeah. is, and I mean, it's not like I think that that therapy is the be all and the end all. And most, and a lot of therapists, it's very difficult because they move from person to person. Uh, but these are all a bunch of people as well um, who think that they are smarter than everybody else. Yeah. So, it, so the it, idea, and, and I think this is what it comes down to. And I think that's a really good way into uh, the point, the related point I was going to make. So thank you for that, which is that, so how shall I put this? The whole premise of the show, again, is that the FBI is perfect and never gets anything wrong. And they're the best at everything. And only they can solve these crimes. But the framing of criminal minds, right, is that they're psychologists, they are using psychology to figure out what people can do. And in order for them to seem special and important and the best, you have to act like the whole concept of the mind is completely unknowable, right? Completely unknowable, completely inexplicable, unless you're a special FBI-funded genius, right? And... <laughs> No, yes. that is that is the yeah, implication yeah. the show wants. I know it sounds silly when I say it that way, but that's the implication yeah. the show wants to create. Yeah. And if the characters are oblivious to their own problems and need to go to therapy, it undercuts that message. And I'll tell you the greatest example the show ever did of acting like the human mind is a mystery, right? Uh, to a ridiculous extent, and that these people are the only special ones right in figuring it in being able to penetrate the unknowable human mind spoiler alert humans aren't actually that complicated uh and that is the scene where they're talking about david rossi in vietnam and they have him say we used to find these guys who had you know their lips cut off and their eyelids cut off and their hands cut off and they were stuck on spikes right by the viet cong uh, and we would like we would all be 
Why, why would they do that? Why would they do something like that? And then you, David Rossi, were the only one brilliant enough to figure out that they were trying to scare us. Like, <laughs> what? No. Like, this needed spoiler a- alert, this needed an explanation? I mean, I don't want to be too uh, rough about this. You know there are animals that, like, literally put out the corpses of their prey, like, put out corpses to scare people off, right? This is something animals have figured out to how to do. <laughs> Throughout human history, people have killed people and then mutilated their bodies and presented the mutilated bodies to act as a warning. That is something for, that has existed as long as there have been humans. And the show acts like it is a brilliant realization that only David could have had. Yeah, That's know. insane. Are you familiar with a man called Vlad the Impaler? <laughs> he was kind of famous for sticking people <laughs> on spikes to scare off his enemies. Let's go back to the Romans and how they used to, when they had a rebellion, <laughs> they, they would literally crucifixion. Build... Yeah. And they would put the crosses along the road like, to remind everybody once, that you, you don't know, rebel against Rome. Once every couple of hundred feet, there would be another crucifix with another guy on it, lighting the road from Rome to wherever the rebellion had been. Well, it so was if you, in the area of the rebellion. In the, yes, in the area of the rebellion. But, I mean, you talk. they talk about the Spartacus thing as actually having been run from where the final battle was all the way to Rome. And that might be an exaggeration. Uh, like I don't know whether that's true or whether they actually did that or not, but the the idea that I had read about was that they were trying to say this is the reach of Rome. Let yes. us go all the way from Rome to that, and you will see the bodies of the people who tried to stand up against us. So this is something humans yeah. have always done. Yet the show acts like it is completely unknowable unless a special government genius looks into it. It's it's one of the dumbest lines in the history of the show. Yeah, you were the only one who could figure out that they were trying to scare us. Yeah, and and of course David, and and then pushing pushing the narrative that anyone who has PTSD is weak minded. That's absolutely true. They've done that more than once. We talked about the JJ example of that, but you've got the the David example yeah. of that, where he finally it is the face off killer. That gives him PTSD. Yeah. Or at least that he believes gives him PTSD. We're going to be talking about David PTSD, uh, David's PTSD when we do our meta characters episode yeah, but, <laughs> a little but, later on. You know, but the, spoiler yeah, but alert, uh, David isn't as carefree as he would like you to believe he is. He drinks. He drinks himself to sleep every single night. Yeah, goes home from work and drinks. Yep. Every night that's a little hoof yeah right and so and the fact that they just the derision of the idea of therapy the only time in this care like okay so all of the characters are trained psychologists theoretically they could offer therapy to people but literally and i mean i know they're not trained counselors but they at least understand enough about the how the mind works that we see them comforting we see them comforting victims and if you can help, if you can help someone by comforting a victim, you have the skills necessary to become a counselor, right? You do, but we don't see them pursuing that at all, except for one time in the entire show, 
And the one time in the entire show we see them actually acting as a counselor, it's a hilarious joke episode where she, uh, where... <laughs> Yes. Uh, where Tara Lewis is uh, the therapist for Mul- uh, Mulder and Scully from the X-Files. Yeah, it and it's a funny scene, but it's notable that that's the only time we see a th- one of the characters giving therapy. That yeah. the whole idea of giving therapy is presented literally as a joke. Yep. And like that is that is something they're doing, whether it's on purpose or whether it's the whole mindset of the show echoing downwards into the writing, it's there. The yeah, concept I, of yeah. therapy is a joke on the show. Yeah, we call it a theme because I do think that this is not necessarily intentional. That yeah. intentional. Right. I, I really, if you were to kind of call them on that, um They I might be surprised if we pointed out all of the evidence. Yeah, if if you start going through episode after episode after episode and saying, yeah, but the only time you ever have anything positive, right? And um, yeah, it, it, it they don't. <laughs> I mean, basically. Well, I'm, I mean, not only that, but beyond, even if you go into things related to therapy, there's two different episodes where people like get driven to murder by self-help courses. Mm. Like that happens I was twice. Break that up. Yeah, that Thank happens you, twice. Go for it. Yes. Yep. We really don't have to, but yes, it doesn't. It doesn't matter what kind of, of therapy of, of therapy or help. You know, I mean, and then of course there's the the play. Um, Which play? No, I no that no that was in one of the other shows because as I said, it's consistent. I mean, it's fairly. If it wasn't such a theme here and people weren't so really messed up right um it it would be different but no because the idea is okay we're only just going to make an episode and and we're not going to see it as having any part of a greater whole there's part of a greater whole it's only because we've watched these these all of these episodes and talked about them in groups of three for the most part Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that, that you can recognize these patterns. You, you yeah. start to look at these these patterns, right? Mm-hmm. And you just go, okay, so is this? And that gets to the issue of is this telling us something greater about sort of the culture itself? Yeah, the worldview of. I mean, it does the it show is. have a worldview? And we would argue that whether they mean it to or not, it's there. Mm-hmm. And that's the key part. You don't have to intend your show to have a message in order for it to have a message. Like, uh, what can I say? The people making Top Gun didn't have to set out to, like, Tony Scott didn't have to set out to make a Navy Navy and Air Force recruitment video. But he made a Navy recruitment video, whether he meant to or not. Yeah. Right? And that's and that is the kind of thing that's happening here with criminal minds. I mean, it's not as it's not as, you know, sexy as the the naval recruitment video that is Top Gun. It's not as ultra and obvious as that was. You know, uh, what do you call it? That Brian Adams refused to write a song for Top Gun because he thought it glorified the military. And as a Canadian, he was not comfortable with glorifying the military. Well, I can't, I, 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 I can't, yes, I can't blame him. I mean, that, that is a, 
really that's why we have the song highway to the danger zone because <laughs> they had to go get someone else to write a song and that's the song they came up with well it's a very um it's oh i tell you talk about <laughs> a, a difficult movie to watch oh well yeah that's going to be a lot of fun when we watch top gun i know right yeah uh, oh. seriously though um i think what's important here right yeah right what's important here though is that like whether they mean to create this overall narrative and we're going to talk a lot more about this in our meta characters episode mm-hmm. but whether or not whether they need like we're watching a show about how therapy is useless and possibly harmful and how the human mind is completely unknowable unless you get a special class of government you know crusaders whose job it is to peer into the minds of the ordinary people. But everyone else, well, no, they can't. They can't consider it. And if you tried to figure out the mind for yourself, right, you would lead to murder. I mean, to the point where there is an episode about how, um, like, in trying to deal with your violent fantasies in a safe setting will inevitably lead to uh, murder. Because there's an episode about the guy who is like this drive towards being a serial killer. And he tries to figure out a way to do it without hurting anybody. So he creates a writing group. Mm -hmm. And that too also leads to murder. Yeah. Because he made the mistake of trying to do therapy. There's ones where like, uh, you know, like the doll company accidentally does therapy. And oh, it and gets then, all of these people to confess they're being molested. All these children confess to being they're molested. Uh, to the fact that they're being molested. And the father, a child psychologist, has been molesting his daughter and drives her to murder. Like, yes. I can't believe we didn't remember to put that episode on our list. With, 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 with. Riker. Uh, yeah. With, with number two. Yeah, from that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Jesus. Uh yeah, but no, uh number one, you know. With yeah, with William Riker from uh Star Trek the Next Generation as the the child molesting uh, Do- uh doctor. The child molesting doctor who messed up his daughter and turned her into a serial killer. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's got some strong messages, whether they mean it to or not. And one of the most interesting parts about it is like the fact that nobody ever gets therapy. And it's weird because they will almost say that, like, therapy could have helped people. It's it's weird to be a show that is massively, and again, this is because, as you say, there is no through line. There is no thinking about this. But it's a show where in the early seasons, right, mm-hmm. they would actually call out parents for refusing to get therapy for their children, and now the children have become serial killers. So the Christopher Wilder episode, this guy had, you know, driven his mother into a lake and killed her when he was a kid, and instead of getting him therapy and help, the father covered it up. Now he's a serial killer, right? Yeah. Um, the guy who, when they did the Richard Chase episode, right, the, the you know, Richard Chase the Vampire Killer episode, the mother didn't want to admit her son was schizophrenic, so she refused to get him medical help and ensure that he took his medication, and it led to serial killing. Okay. So it's like, at the beginning, the show understood that therapy could have helped and could have prevented this thing. And then as the show goes on, not only do they not suggest that these people could have been helped or diverted from becoming killers, therapy itself becomes one of the villains over the run of the show. 
Yeah. I, it's, it's fascinating. We, we'll talk about different parts of this because there are more, as, I, as you say, there are examples after examples. Yeah, one um, after another of and, the gradual. And the thing is, you say it's one off, it's one off, it's one off, but you can see a turn the show takes gradually over time yes. to be more and more against therapy after Ed Bernero leaves. It's, it's an interest, like, it's an interesting thing. I'm not saying, you know, that, that, that they don't have these themes because we can find, we found them. It's we just found the that themes and huge the people, amount of evidence. the showrunner. Yeah doesn't seem to understand that that's what's happening no she doesn't seem to know that she's giving out the that she's sending out these messages that what happens is is that if you are going to do a show and as you say i mean you have watched enough shows that there is a consistency and it's always where you have a showrunner who has control over the ideas so you don't get as many flaws and as much fun as we can make of Bones, for example, it is to <laughs> it's a consistent. large extent yeah. consistent from it beginning is. to end. CSI is consistent from beginning to end. Like yeah. it's, it, you know, you can just see in the first few years how, and then these characters, but these characters grow. Yeah. These characters change. These characters have problems. Sometimes they have to go, you know, into trying to deal with this you you have dealings with domestic violence and stuff and over the course of the show there is a consistency to equating the job and what happens to them in the job because that's the other thing here like the consistency the job is can sometimes trigger and you Mm -hmm. don't often see that in criminal minds no you just don't and and so what do you what do you do you know it's just like and oh anyway <laughs> I, I mean i'm i'm going how long are we going to spend well no we are going to take a break here this is we have gotten through the first two sections of the themes of the show those yep. being fbi good therapy bad uh, yeah, exactly. So we've been doing this for an hour and a half so we're going to take a break I, we're going to join you can join us back here next time In the next episode, when we talk about a little, we get more into the cult of individual responsibility. Uh, And and of course, the deal and the show's uh, corollary, which is one of the big ones, the show's unwillingness to talk about social issues ever. Yeah. Just ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, it's, it's pretty shocking the way the show is willing to talk about unwilling to talk about social issues and the fact that that forces them to say personal responsibility is all that exists when the world is much more complicated than that. So we'll be back here for that next time. (laughs) And then of course, uh, if we get through all of that next time, the third episode is going to be about our beloved meta characters. Uh, No, no. After that, then we're going to go, with what I call inconsistent oh, themes. Oh, yes, consistent and inconsistent themes. Then the fourth part is meta character. So I guess what we're saying is you're welcome for giving you a free college level course on criminal minds. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, because I'm thinking and I really I'm hoping we're going to have to talk about number three, because this is where where do we talk? 
this is where we're going to be talking about the lack of consistency around the issue of child abuse. And yeah. That could take up a whole show in and of itself. So it might. So I, I have predicted a length of these criminal what is criminal mind specials. Uh, but I might be wrong about how long they're gonna take. Well, we thought we were going to do two. We thought we were gonna do one, and it looks like we're gonna do four. So yeah, yeah. that should be <laughs> that should yeah. be a lot of fun. Uh of course, uh by now, hopefully you're all listening to uh style section. Our our wise guy podcast that should have started on this past Tuesday, uh, we had originally like um, that we've talked about it a lot and we're very excited that you're listening to it now. We haven't recorded it yet, of course. <laughs> no, but by the time you hear this, it'll have been long since recorded because that's how we do things. Uh, but yes, we hope you're enjoying style section on Tuesdays. And if you're again, you know, just gasping for more criminal minds, once we finish this meta thing, we <gasps> are going to continue doing the Thursday criminal minds episodes about criminal minds, Korea. So that should be a ton of fun too. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we have weeks more criminal minds left to go before we're just doing style section. So, uh, we hope you're enjoying that on Tuesdays. We hope you join us back here next Thursday. And if we're still doing the Sunday shows at this point, we will see you there. We hope not. <laughs> we but... hope not because let's just say, I mean, spoiler alert. I've made a lot of bad predictions about the future on these, uh, on these <laughs> shows. Yeah. Yeah, like I was just listening to one that's not going to come up for uh, three, two or three months, and the assumption is is that the COVID nineteen thing will still- have been over. Yeah, like it's it's bad. Like we're recording this. I don't know. You're listening to this, I guess, in March or April of 2021. If there's still an internet, um, <laughs> no, America having a second civil war won't get rid of the internet. Don't worry, there's no. still going to be an internet. Uh, China but yes, sure of that. but it's like we we are now living in a time where like last year i'm like ah trump's probably not going to be president anymore he's so obviously corrupt the republicans will throw him out was i mean you can listen to me predicting that and just being completely wrong and it turned out the republicans are completely fine with corruption so what i'm saying is um i'm hoping that we can end the sunday shows by next spring when covid is over and hopefully Trump isn't president anymore. But with my luck and my history of predictions, <laughs> I might we might be doing Sunday shows about how the American Civil War is going. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I know. I'm Just... not happy about it either. Anyway. But anyway uh, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this and we hope you continue enjoying our talk on Criminal Minds. A show that is far more fascinating than even it realizes it is. Uh, We'll see you back here for more. Uh, But until then, if you have any questions, comments, if you'd like to uh, offer your own theories about Criminal Minds and its characters, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. uh, And of course, the big one, if you're listening to this on any sort of a podcast uh, app, or podcatcher, be sure to rate and review the show because that is how people find it. Uh, it's all algorithms, people. It's all algorithms that decide what you watch. And if that disturbs you, uh, you'll be more disturbed when you find out who's in control of those algorithms. It's people with money. People with a <laughs> lot of money. <laughs> so try to game it any way you can by reminding the computer that you like profiling criminal minds. Uh, we will see you back here. <laughs>
next week for more discussion about exactly what Criminal Minds is. But until then, I'm going to say au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network. 